Welcome to another episode of Grief is a Sneaky Bitch. I'm your host, Lisa Kefauver. I hope you don't mind, but I want to take a moment to get personal with you. I'm feeling really emotional as we wrap up season one of this series. I had a vision, really a vision to create a show where I could use my extensive personal and professional experiences to really shape a national shift in the conversation on grief and loss. I had no idea when I began the tremendous reach and impact it would have on listeners from around the world. We are at more than 22 countries and counting. But perhaps more surprisingly is that I didn't realize how much these conversations would move me, how much they would teach me. I am grateful grateful to every single guest who has been on the show this season. Each person is a part of modeling what authentic and vulnerable conversations on grief can sound like. I'm thankful to you and to every listener from around the world for bravely exploring this topic, a topic that frankly, so many of us run away from. I'm honored by the number of shares and ratings and reviews the show has received so far. Whether this is your first episode or you've listened to the entire season, I'm so glad you're here today. In today's episode, I was joined by Ryan Bowman and Michael Jenke, two filmmakers out of Calgary. They recently released a powerful short-form documentary film on grief called We the Bereaved. In this meditation on grief, their goal was to show solidarity for those who are grieving and permission for those who felt they were never allowed. From the beginning of our conversation, Ryan and Michael demonstrated deep vulnerability. Both men shared their initial trepidation about taking on the awesome responsibility of telling other people's grief story. They revealed how tackling this topic was a shift from their more commercial work and how it challenged them to think, act, even structure the entire process in a totally new way. Their approach to conveying the stories of the 10 individuals they captured on film was a beautiful example of what ideal grief support looks like. They showed up, they let go of any direction or sense of authority, and they just listened. The impact of their choices for the film were profound. You can feel how much the bereaved felt safe and supported to share both their experiences and the wisdom they've gained on their journeys. The outcome for the filmmakers has been a deeper confidence in showing up for themselves and others in their grief journey. So my name is Michael Janke. I am a independent filmmaker here in Calgary, Alberta. And on uh, the film We the Bereaved, I uh, co-produced as well as was primarily running camera side of things on the film. And my name is Ryan Bowman. Uh, I also am working kind of in the indie film world. 
uh, as well as a little bit in the commercial world uh, here in Canada and Calgary specifically. And for our film, We the Bereaved, I also was a co-producer, co-produced it with Michael and um, was directing on set uh, as well as editing. And uh, we both yeah, collaborated on a lot of the post work there as well. So, Awesome. Well, Michael and Ryan, welcome to Grief is a Sneaky Bitch podcast. I'm so glad you're here, even if by, you know, technology and virtual services. I'm glad that we can join together today. It's awesome. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, so for our listeners, I will let you know that I um, found these guys, and they were gracious enough to agree to come on the show because I am a big fan of Krista Tippett's podcast on being, and she was very taken uh, by this film, We the Breathed, which we're going to talk about today, and um, watched it and cried and resonated so much with the message and was so I don't know what the word is, y'all, like relieved or moved that we're starting to see more stories out there that really reflect the realities of grief. So I did a little internet stalking and reaching out, and um, you two graciously agreed to come on the show. So I really do appreciate that. I think we're going to have a really rich conversation today about both the filmmaking process and what you've learned, but also sort of how that has informed your own understanding of grief. So thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks for having us. So I am going to start this podcast episode like I start each one of my episodes, and that is to ask the two of you to reflect on what are your earliest memories of grief? What experiences did you see in your growing up life, whether it was a family member or friend, in terms of grief or a pet, perhaps? In terms of the expressions of grief that you saw around you, in particular, I often ask guests to think about how their parents were expressing or not grief and how you think that may be shaped or not any grief experiences you've had in your adult life. Ryan, maybe you can share first your reflections on that question. Yeah, it's interesting. I I think the strongest one that I go back to was my grandpa uh, when he died, and we really did get to have a pretty special and and beautiful moment and I can remember strongly specifically watching my grandma say goodbye and holding his hand at in the hospital bed and uh, we all got oh Henry chocolate bars because that was his favorite chocolate bar so everybody was eating oh we had this stack full of them and he was unconscious and she um, touched his hand and just said that you're the love of my life and, and to watch this, at the time she was 82 years old, um, woman who is always, you know, you, you kind of, you kind of look up to your grandparents or, or at least see them as authority figures in your life. And to see this very vulnerable and beautiful moment um, of this woman who was married for 60 years, um, say goodbye to her husband and thank him for the life that they had together was a really very moving mo- moment. I can remember crying. Um, I, I was older, so I was probably 18. And, and uh, yeah, it's hard for me to remember anything earlier than that of, of close people or pets dying. Mm. But, yeah, I was, I was a little bit older than that. And my, um, 
my dad, I, I can remember my dad crying really hard and I didn't often see him like really, really cry, like really, uh, like really weep. I would see him tear up in life, but um, yeah, it was very different and it, and it was tiring and also like one with that release came, came some sort of um, relaxation into it. Um, yeah, so that's, I guess, just describing that very clear moment of how painful it was to experience that um, and also uh, how special it was, like some of those special little beautiful moments. And, and at the same time, I don't, I wouldn't want to be back there <laughs> yeah. in that moment. Yeah. That's probably the first that I can think of. Yeah. That is so beautiful that, um, you know, you really had to weigh with words and helped us be in the room with your grandmother and grandfather. I love that you shared there was sort of the humor of the O. Henry bars and showing up mm-hmm. with something that was his and also to, you know, bear witness to that vulnerable moment. And clearly it's had an influence in your life. Um, mm-hmm. And, and that you got to sort of see your dad in a different life express or in a different light, sort of how he is, was expressing his emotions at this really uh, important time, this important passage. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. Michael, same question to you. What What's your earliest memories of grief? And now that you're a bit older, what, what do you think that experience taught you about how you see and experience grief? Hmm. Yeah, my, my earliest memories are also tied to uh, my grandparents. Um, on my mother's side, my, my grandma and grandpa were a fair bit older. My mom was born when my when my grandfather was fifty. So there's quite a, quite an age gap between her and her siblings. And um, both of those grandparents on that side of my family passed away when I was young. Um, my grandpa in particular, I believe I was uh, I believe it was four or five. I was quite young. But then in contrast, my um, my grandparents on my father's side, um, I, I was actually there at the hospital, similar to Ryan's experience with my parents and some really close friends and my grandmother when she passed away. And I was, I was 22, 23. Um, no, sorry, I was a little older than that. I think I was 26. And that was a very different experience. I had my whole life of relationship with that grandparent and, um, it was, yeah, being in the room, and she also, um, she was unconscious um, in those last few hours of her life, and just, um, yeah, that experience of being present and seeing, seeing is funny, also, my dad, who is a pretty, not, not very outwardly emotional person in, in, in day-to-day life, um, I remember when my grandma passed, similar thing of just um, seeing him weep and just like experiencing that and and weeping with everyone and just having that sort of outpouring of emotion um was yeah something that i'd never experienced otherwise um with other family members passing who were much older um that was the first time that i think i really um experienced that moment and could actually recognize it as a part of uh of a grief experience i would say yeah wow Thank you. That's beautiful. You know, and I think what you were touching on is when 
when losses happen so young, when you, you know, you're that first loss you were describing when you're four or five, we don't even understand sort of the permanence or not permanence of life. And I don't think we're quite under, able to really process or comprehend um, other people's emotional experiences. So um, yeah. it's often hard for people to know that. You are listening to Grief is a Sneaky Bitch. As a social worker, former therapist, and widow, I am convinced that our inability to talk about and openly express grief causes us all significant and unnecessary harm. That's why I've created Reimagining Grief. I am focused on providing products, services, and free resources to help us all find the language we need when we're at a loss for words. Whether you are on your own grief journey or you are trying to show up for someone in theirs, I want you to know I'm here for you. After the show's over, please take a moment to learn a little bit more about me and why I created this show and the work I'm doing at Reimagining Grief. You can learn more at www.reimagininggrief.com. And while you're online, make sure you're following us at Reimagining Grief on your favorite social media platform to get the latest behind-the-scenes news on the show and for some inspiring and informative daily invitations. Next, I'd love to talk with you, too, about the, how the film came to the two of you because my understanding is this is not a type of project uh, that either of you have done in your professional careers in terms of this sort of documentary-style short film and certainly not something you've done on this topic. So Ryan or Michael, can one of you start to tell us a little bit about how this film came into your lives and um, what was your first maybe honest, if you don't mind, reaction to to the request? So our first uh, experience, my first experience, with the film uh, came through our executive producer, who's Michelle. She had an idea, uh, and and I've done a little bit of passion project work for her. And so she's a bit of a philanthropist in our city. She had an idea that she wanted to do a documentary on the topic of death and grief. And that was really the only uh, parameters that she gave us. She had some experience with um, uh, go- going through some difficult things and going through a lot of grief in her life and a lot of fear of death and uh, wanted to destigmatize that a little bit and kind of open up the conversation a bit more. And so that's where she brought this idea to us. And so I think my initial reaction, I can remember where we were outside of the coffee shop that we were meeting and, and we were, I was hesitant definitely. And, and I needed to find a way that I could connect with this idea uh, because I didn't, I, I wasn't sure that I was going to be able to, and I wasn't sure, you know, when you first hear about death and grief, especially for somebody who, you know, may, maybe isn't regularly um, approaching that topic or, or, or hasn't recently connected with uh, the topic of grief personally, uh, you, you, it sounds like a lot sounds like something that's very heavy and so I was pretty hesitant and I needed to find a reason to want to get involved and uh, and that sort of came a little bit later 
as we began talking about, okay, well, what could this be? I can imagine that, yeah, not many people, I say this often about, you know, when I introduce myself and people say, what do you do? And I say, I speak, write, educate, and talk about grief on a daily basis. Not necessarily something most people <laughs> think about or, or would envision doing a project on. So I can imagine your hesitancy um, around around doing that. That was Ryan, right? So Michael, what yeah. what, how did you first hear about this and what was your first sort of gut reaction to doing a project, especially a project that's on a big topic, but with very little, it sounds like, or basically no parameters. Mm. Yeah, very interesting. Um, um, just as like a little bit of like a, a con contextual thing, um, in terms of the projects that I've been involved in, um, there's always kind of a clear uh, divide in my world. So on, on one side, it'll be uh, work that is for a client, um, usually follows some sort of very specific need or request um, when it comes to the subject matter. Um, and that's sort of like in the in like the commercial corporate world. And then the other side of the coin is the is the what I would classify more as like the independent film work, whether that's a short film or um, just an artistic piece, which usually is coming completely from an internal desire to to make something so kind of two things one very clear external um uh specific goal presented to you and then one that is just purely your own um your own passion or an idea and then and seeing that through uh this project uh minus the reaction at the beginning was kind of this mixed feeling of okay uh, I sort of can grasp the idea or grasp the request, but um, it's kind of like an emotional thing coming from an outside source. And I didn't have, or I didn't think I had necessarily the capacity to, to give a voice to this story. I, I sort of felt underqualified, whether, whether or not that was because uh, my experiences with grief were um, sort of distant or or not necessarily really uh, as potent as maybe some of the some of the people that we knew might be involved. Um, but yeah, I, I think I just had this feeling of I don't know that I I don't know if I'm qualified to tell this story. I think that was kind yeah. of my first reaction in that same meeting that uh, that Ryan mentioned going into the meeting uh, for the pro project, I think I, yeah, I think I just felt uh, interested, but definitely a bit of conflict um, internally of whether I was qualified to be a part of telling a story about uh, grief, uh, just sort of some self-doubt of whether my experiences gave me, um, yeah, just the ability to, to speak into that story. I think that was my first sort of hesitancy around it. Yeah, and as I talk so often in my writing at Reimagining Grief and here on the podcast, I think it sounds to me that the two of you understood very quickly the responsibility of 
holding space and telling someone's grief story and sort of checking in with yourself like, hey, am I the right person? Do I have the right skills or the qualities to, to be able to do that? So what allowed the two of you? Was it the was Michelle just a very convincing friend or did you do some self-reflection? How did the two of you move from kind of, uh, I'm not sure if where I'm the right person for this job to, yep, let's go ahead and produce um, sort of create and produce this film. We we both got together after the meeting and wanted to hash out what could it be and what I guess could we get behind. And as we as we started to come up with this concept that was more about um, that was more of a generalized look at a, a wide range of people and not not honing in on on, on anybody specifically. Um, we got excited about that because it felt like we were really exploring a specific part, I guess, of, of humanity or at least Western, you know, society and people um, as a whole. And that became really interesting. And I personally have had really benef- really great moments in my life and really um, healing and life-giving moments in my life where I'm in a group with people um, in some sort of session or whatever, where people are sharing, being vulnerable, and are being open and honest about their story, and and I've seen the benefit and the um, the peace that can come from a moment like that with just being together in a room and and allowing um, different people to share and different people to connect with different parts of each other's stories. Um, and that, to me, is something that has shaped who I am today um, through different things that I went through in my past. And so that was like, I, I mean, what if we could get a bunch of people and we could let them all share their stories and, and sort of present this to the world um, as something for them to connect to and hopefully find, you know, meaning and peace and um, and solidarity through. Um, I had experienced the 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 uh, benefit of, of solidarity in, in the most healthy sense. And, and so that got really exciting for me to explore that. That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, uh, and also to sort of jump off what, what Ryan was saying, the, I want to give a, a, a little bit of context about how some of those steps happen in terms of the film as well. Like, Michelle approached us with the idea. We had that initial meeting. We both had our sort of our, our own reactions to it. I remember both of us leaving that meeting. We didn't talk much. I think we were absorbing the whole idea and what it could mean. We kind of went our separate ways. And then the next time that that me and Ryan got together, um, yeah, we talked about, yeah, how can how can we get on board with something that is, you know, sort of going to be our responsibility to take on and tell this story and where do we personally fit in that into that so that we are being we are being genuine and honest as well I felt that I didn't maybe have my own experiences that would allow me to speak for somebody else but we said you know let's not make this about trying to tell our story let's let's find out how we can through, you know, the filmmaking process really, you know, you know, so to speak, open the floor to 
other people sharing their stories and and just trying to facilitate that a lot of the time in our in our work i feel like we're trying to tell a story that we may have written or are just really really passionate about a certain angle of something but this was very much a different process altogether of saying you know we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna see what people have to say and we're gonna be as honest with ourselves about um being willing to to see where that takes us we don't know the answers here but we want to we want to find out what these people are experiencing and have experienced and look for those commonalities to uh to try and facilitate that i love that i think you you brought forward a really important point, Michael, which is about the sort of not stepping in with some need to have sort of some authority and sort of control the story, Um, I think, which often happens for people in their grief. Other people start to tell their grief story. And so it sounds like you really sort of set some intention, which is uh, we want to be sort of the conduit. I think you use the word facilitator um, for telling people's stories. So tell me a little bit about the leap it must have been to um, walk into helping to be a facilitator to tell a story when you didn't even know what the story was going to, you know, be like, you know, which is I'm sure very different than when you're shooting a commercial or you're shooting an art piece or whatever. You have some sense of the arc of the story or even sort of the common, as you said, the themes that you're hoping to touch on, you know, themes much more specifically than just the word grief. So how did, how, was that for you as creative folks taking that leap? I definitely found it scary. I think that we were slightly warmed up in that we started when, when we did sort of select some of those people, uh, we were able to have meetings with them. And I think we could learn even in those meetings, we were beginning to learn a lot about a lot more about grief and, um, what this film could be through those pre- previous meetings that we had before actually interviewing any of them. Um, but it definitely was like, I, I guess after even filming our interviews, I can remember having a very real moment of what are we doing? Like, did, what did we get ourselves into here? <laughs> um, have we just gone into this super heavy territory and, and that's it, you know, like, yeah. like what is, what is the goal of this? What and is now this? What? what are we doing? <laughs> yeah. We got all these interviews and once we could go through and edit out all of these videos, there were very clear moments of, and not only the painful emotions and thoughts and things that people, that you go through, um, there, there were, there were also the, the, um, some, some of the different perspectives and, and things on life that were shared with us that, that was, uh, really was beautiful, but it, it definitely at the end of, you know, feel, talking to 10 people for 45 minutes over the course of two days, we were, I was feeling heavy. Like I was definitely feeling like, oh my goodness, yeah, what is this? But I also feel a responsibility to represent these people, um, or or not to represent them, but to present them yeah. in in a way that they feel one proud of of the fact that they shared, yeah. and like like they did something that was meaningful, um, and they don't feel embarrassed of the piece. And and I what what I guess for me I didn't want was uh, that something that only captured one part of their story, um, and and. Yeah, yeah. It, it's kind of complicated, but I, I just didn't want them ever to feel like what what was presented of them was misconstrued or 
or was something that people wouldn't understand or would get a different assumption um, than maybe what what uh, was actual reality. Yeah. I mean, you were trying to take 10 people's complex grief stories and distill it into a short film. So I can imagine the responsibility to think, how do I not make this voyeuristic or salacious, or as you said, kind of maybe a shallow or a thin cut into each of their stories? And how did you, you know, how can you make sure you're representing them in a way that honors what they spent 45 minutes telling you? Yeah. Yeah. And I wish I could say that we we went away and said, okay, then this is what we got to do to make sure it honors. But it, but it really was um, a, it, like, like I said to Michael when it was done, I said, I do feel um, like, like once actually when it went online, like only a couple months ago, because it had then been two years. So we submitted it to film festivals before then. But I did say to him, I do feel that there's a weight off my back because we saw uh, like the fact that on being shared it and connected with it and then, um, that it has about 30,000 people who have watched it and, and the pouring in of messages of, of people who were crying and telling us stories. Of- yeah, that's a, that's, a big, that's a big responsibility. Michael, might you share a little bit about your own reflections on the responsibility of, of telling people's stories, but also kind of what was the maybe some of the challenges or considerations in terms of who you were selecting and then maybe start to tell us a little bit about how you decided to sort of set up um, how the film was going to take place in terms of sort of splicing in different conversations. And tell us a little bit about how you thought about who you're, whose stories you're going to tell because you can't possibly capture every type of loss or every cultural representation or every age or, you know, everyone's stories. So tell us a little bit about how you picked people and – what were the challenges and maybe what were the, if I had it to do over again? The, the process of finding, I'll just, I'll talk about finding our interviewees. Yeah. Um, it was interesting. The, the people that you see represented in the film, uh, a, a few of those people um, to me and Ryan were total strangers. Um, we, in our conversations with Michelle, she knew some people through her, her network and friendships um, she knew of a few people who had experienced loss that she thought would be willing to be a part of the project um, that she connected us with, who were all very quick to to jump on board. Um, we We both personally knew some people that we considered asking. The sort of third stage uh, is Ryan and I both put out a, a post on social media just mentioning, um, hey, everybody, we're doing this project um, in which we're looking for people to share their their experiences with grief. Um, anyone who's interested, please reach out to us. And so we got kind of the rest of the seats filled um, through that avenue, which was, yeah, we had some people reach out to us that we maybe didn't expect. I had, um, I had a, a, some friends who I'd known for a while, um, but I, I did not approach directly. Um, I, I sort of thought personally, if we, if we make this known to people, then it's in their court. I didn't ever want to, you know, call someone or email somebody and directly ask them. I just wasn't sure how people would react to us doing this project. And it's funny, actually one of, one of our, I won't say who, but one of our interviewees, 
um, is one of the people that I knew before. And even in our interview with her before, when we sort of mentioned the details and, um, and invited her after she had reached out, she sort of, and only because I know, I know her, she had a, a few questions that to me sort of felt like, you know, like how, how much do you understand this? Do you understand mm. the depth of what the, these experiences of grief are? Like she kind of questioned that a little bit. And so I sort of had that feeling of like, I didn't ever want to reach out and say, will you do this and put someone in a corner, um, whether or not they would feel that. So it was very cool because even the people that me and Ryan both knew personally, we had, we didn't approach them directly. As far as I remember, I think they all reached out to us after hearing that we were doing this. So that was really affirming for me at the beginning because I felt, you know, if, if these folks are reaching out to us, then they are willing to go on this journey with us. And um, I actually felt a lot, a lot of confidence through that of thinking like, okay, like maybe this is, maybe this is really meaningful for these people to be able to share their story in some way. I don't totally understand the experience, but if they're willing to be open with us, like that's, that's exciting. But also, as Ryan said, it, it came with this sense of uh, responsibility of, okay, these are real people that we're talking with one-on-one -on -one that, that some of them are actually a part of our lives. How is this going to go? How do we make sure that they feel safe, that they don't feel used at all, that they, um, yeah, that they feel like we're taking a genuine approach. Um, and I, I would say, too, I think one of the reasons that overall the experience went well is that neither one of us ever said, I know the way, mm. you know, this is the answer. Like, we, we both stayed very, very vulnerable in the experience, which, yeah, is not something you always get in a filmmaking process. You often have, you know, sort of, you know, a director or a, or a writer who is really, who is really driving the concept or the idea and it's kind of like you know very much leader based and um, yeah. um this was really not that this was very vulnerable and emotional um even as as collaborators for me and ryan of just always questioning what are we doing here and it yeah it wrote it wrote that line of um confidence but also you know vulnerable. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's in some ways it's hard to voice because I've, I haven't really experienced that in other, um, in other projects or, or experiences before. Um, but somehow we were managed to stay in that zone. Yeah. And I think it allowed us to see, see things that maybe otherwise we might've missed. I think that's such a beautiful reflection, Michael. And one of the things I'd share with you, share with our listeners, is that I think the ways in which you showed up for the film, for those interviewees and for the filmmaking process is very much the way all of us want the people in our lives to show up for us in our grief journey. So in the this is, I think, a beautiful sort of metaphor and maybe lesson for those of us who are out here listening, who has a friend or a loved one who's just gone through loss, which is people usually, like directors in films, want to show up in your life and have authority and champion, you know, a, a vision mm. of something and direct you and fix you and, you know, sort of make everything okay and ma make everything neat, you know, for you. Because it's hard to see people in pain. Um, mm. And so I think there was a real 
beauty in you sort of shifting the ways in which you would normally show up for a filmmaking process and to show up with, um, you use the word vulnerability, and I would also reflect back to you, it sounds like you stayed in a real state of curiosity um, Mm -hmm. and sort Mm -hmm. of set a kind of expert status aside and said, I, you know, we're sort of the conduit or the facilitator or whatever those metaphors are to tell that story. And I can imagine that the interv- that really allowed the interviewees to feel um, open to telling you their story because there's nothing that shuts someone down quicker than someone sort of shooting on you or directing you or reacting to your storytelling style. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. And you know it's it's interesting too because um, that also it was also something that um, in terms of the the interviews themselves that um, was a, a big part of some of the choices that we made. Um, Ryan would would sort of agree that we were very specific about the crew members that we asked to help yeah. us on the project. Um, we knew that just the space in which we conducted the interviews, um, not the literal building, also the literal building, but just like the um, the like, space that we created for those interviews were going to have an effect on them as well. And just that desire to make make it a yeah a safe place for the people that were coming in. So even the choice of crew and um, really setting um, not, not very restrictive time time constraints, okay. get, giving us giving us some some room for people to express themselves and not ever wanting them to feel like they had to get to a point in their story, but just letting them speak. Um, and I, you know, I remember specifically something that I, um, that I learned in that interview process, which came from, from Ryan's direction. He, he came up with interview questions that were far less pointed than we would maybe normally conduct an interview in our, in our other projects. He, he spent a lot of time thinking about those and reflecting. And he came up with some questions that I think were way more, less questions and more, um, prompts to, to, to those people to just sort of go down, uh, you know, a, a thought process or, um, or sort of share a reflection as a point, as opposed to, you know, here's a question what's the answer to that question? I mean, that made a big difference for sure. Yeah. And again, that sort of allowed them to feel like they didn't, that there wasn't a right or wrong answer, you know, or that there wasn't one way to respond. And that kind of created that safe space. Ryan, how did you, have not having come from, you know, you're not a social worker or psychologist or whatever. So how did you start mm-hmm. to discover what made you go down that road of asking sort of more giving more guided prompts versus asking very pointed questions. How were you able to sort of step back from that usual sort of authority director role in this case? I I think that that's something that I would try to approach in a lot of documentary style work is is to let that person sort of um, guide you a little bit. It sounds like the effect was what you had hoped, which was you created sort of opening and spaces for people to, you know, reveal things that maybe um, they didn't even know were inside of them. I can think of a few moments, um, the mother-wife, you know, who lost her husband and her child. Um, It seemed 
and some of the other interviewees as well, that they were having sort of revelations as they were talking to you. Was that your experience as the interviewer? Mm -hmm. And and who was asking the questions? How did you decide who was going to be sort of standing off camera asking those prompts? Yeah, so we that was definitely our experience. I think even as you're talking there, I think for me and for Michael, a big part of our process was, you know, to get out of the way. And so we would, there's something, we were also strategic in making sure that we were listening, like actually listening to these people. Because if you're sitting there looking at your paper, making notes, uh, we wanted it to feel like you were actually sitting down with this person and just learning from them and sitting across the table from them, letting them share their experience and letting them truly be the expert because they are the expert of their own experience. And so we, we did a lot more listening than we did uh, prompting at all. And our questions were short and then we would just let them go. And if there were quiet moments, we would sit there and they would sit, they would stare off. You can see it even in the film. There's times where they stare off to the side and then they drop another like very big, like truth bomb, you know, that they, that they learned through this process uh, um, that, that maybe wouldn't have happened if we were always, okay, next, okay, next, uh, next question. Uh, We got to fill this time. We got to get out of here. Um, that was, that was not the experience. It was, it was much more of a, uh, just, just a listening, a listening role. And, um, and in terms of how we, how we did the interviews, we both split up. So we each did half of the interviews, uh, which we're so glad we did because it just would have been, and, you know, you, you think, you think you listening sometimes is just staring at somebody, but it, you have to actually listen and people can tell if you're not yeah. and uh, to, to actively listen and be present with the with, uh, you know, uh, five different people each. If, if we if I if I had to do 10, I, I would have been a mess yeah. you know, at the end of that. So we, we did split them up. Uh, I there were people that I was more connected with that uh, that I knew uh, and Michael had people that he knew. And then we had some people that were both um new to us that we we kind of just split up. You know, Ryan, you just said something that's, oh, I I just love where this conversation is going. I'm just going to geek out with y'all for a minute and <laughs> and bear <laughs> with me. And, and hopefully our listeners will see this too. But I often talk, and that's part of my training as a social worker and therapist, and, and is that um, we have to approach these kinds of conversations with folks in grief and loss with the assumption that they are the expert. I love that you use that expression. They are the expert in their own grief journey. And I think so often people show up in our lives um, not really honoring that. And also we do that to ourselves. I think often those of us who are going through a grief journey think we're not doing it right. There must be some other way to think about this. I should or shouldn't feel or think these thoughts. And so for you to create a filmmaking process where you two were able to show up and really create both a process, an environment, the entire sort of setup in which you were sort of handing back control or or sort of honoring the expertise and authority that those people had about their own grief experience and um, that you did the thing that I beg people to do pretty much on a daily basis, which is a lot more listening than talking. If you are showing up for someone in their grief journey and you're talking more, you are talking too much. (laughs) And that happens often because the griever cannot articulate what their experience is. It's too emotional. It's too heavy. 
and the person attending to them fills the silence with more talking. Um, mm. And I love that you captured both on film and it sounds like in your experience, the quiet moments, which is hard for us to do in life, don't you think? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what it is. Why are we so uncomfortable with the silence? It's, I definitely, I mean, I still very much feel that throughout the rest of my life. There's something about being behind the camera that I feel like there's a, I'm more free to just sit in the quietness. Um, but sometimes in regular conversation, I find that more challenging. Yeah. Yeah. I think we find it more challenging too, particularly in conversations where someone is obviously in pain because we don't, I yeah. talk often, you know, we don't, and you and I talked to you, the three of us talked about this the other day. It's just, we aren't taught how to really sit in pain and we're sort of taught in biologically hardwired and also culturally taught that pain is bad and that, you know, we got to get away from it as quickly as possible. And so we don't know how to sit in silence and really understand that actually being there to be to companion someone as they experience and express their pain is such a gift. And that usually does not involve talking at all. Yeah. Well, I would imagine that the tempting thing to to be supportive of somebody who's grieving, right, would be it's, it's, it's okay that you're grieving. This is good. Keep yeah. grieving. Like, this is good. You know, like coaching to, to do the, to do that coaching. Um, and, and the more that you coach them, the more they're going, why do they keep on telling yeah. me I'm or, or like, this is good. And this is, you yeah. Know, like, like shut the hell up. Uh, I know it's fine. Yeah. I don't need your approval or permission. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. You know, you said something about the act of listening and also about the fact that you appreciated that the two of you divvied up these interviews because it would have been too much. And that has me wondering for the two of you, what was the emotional journey you went on? And we can start maybe with just the interviews, but even as you had to watch the footage over and over and over again, what were what were some of the emotions that came up for you? What was that journey like? Um being a bearing witness to these guests as they told their grief stories, some very tragic and, and traumatic grief stories. It, it was an interesting thing because on the days um, for the interviews, you know, at the same, not only are Ryan and I going in knowing that we're going to be having these conversations, but we also have this responsibility to um, sort of guide the filmmaking side of it. There was definitely times that I, I mean, going into it, I actually felt that I was kind of mentally bracing myself because I wasn't totally sure. I, I wondered where, where are these conversations going to go are because the part of my brain is thinking, okay, like I'm, I gotta be here and present as a person with this, with the people we're interviewing. But there's also that part of me that's thinking, well, we're also, we need to capture these interviews in a way that is going to work on film. And, you know, the part of my brain that's thinking, you know, what if, what if we're sitting down with people and they, and they're breaking down and they can't express their ideas clearly, you know, there's that part of me that's sort of that anxiety racing. And it it was kind of a, of that duality throughout it, where there were times in the interviews where I felt very profoundly in the moment where I would just sort of lose sense of time and space and, and just realize that I'm right in the middle of, of witnessing what this person was saying. And that was very profound. Um, and then there were also times of feeling 
sort of uh, anxiety and fear of like, oh, like I'm listening to this person, but have I been paying attention as a filmmaker to where this conversation is going? Like, is this going the right way? There's a lot of back and forth I found during the interviews, a lot of, a lot of peace, but a lot of turbulence as well. You were wearing two hats, sounds like, you know, yeah. Yeah. And, and that, and that, you know, the heart of me wanting so badly to be very present for these people. And then that, you know, that brain function of like, okay, are we, do we need to make a cut here? Do we need to do this here? Do we need to stop rolling to change out a memory card? It was pretty incredible in the same moments to also hear what people were saying. Like Ryan said, being just sitting there and listening still somehow was, I think the dominant thing in me, I was able to be there and listen. Um, were you moved to tears? Were you emotional? Did you, you know, were, how, how, what was the sort of emotional journey for you? I was surprised consistently with how everyone's stories seem to really take a, and this is something that carries over into how the film um, editing process was as well. But even though everybody was sharing very difficult experiences and memories, there was this consistency of um, it never, it felt like it never went to a hopeless, um, a hopeless side of everyone was sharing beside the the details and the and the difficult facts of the experience they all seem to be telling us some really profound wise word words um i was very surprised at how everyone was r- really pouring out this wisdom general life wisdom that i i i don't think i expected that i think i expected just 100% like i said emotion um, and everyone really shared with us some profound things that, that really struck me throughout. And as, you know, yeah, I think as there's those, those emotions throughout those days, there was quite a feeling of, um, it sounds crazy, but there was kind of quite a feeling of lightness in each of those interviews as well. There was this sort of breath of fresh air that seemed to always carry through. I felt like I was very privileged to be present in those conversations because I knew that these people were sharing things in a potent way that they may not share on a daily basis so freely. And I definitely felt really like, yeah, really uh, held in that in that state. That's that makes sense. It absolutely <laughs> makes sense. That's beautiful. And Ryan, in, in just a second, I want to ask you a little bit about your emotional journey Michael, you said two things that resonated with me. Again, the sort of metaphor of this process comes back to the lessons that we can all learn as we show up and attend to people in their grief, which is you had that duality or that struggle the entire time. How do I just sit here and be present and mm-hmm. quiet and listen? But then that little you know, voice in your head said, but wait, I'm the co-producer. I need to you know, have an opinion. I'm the filmmaker here. And you would sort of have to sort of tamp that side down in order to stay present and again, I think the metaphor that happens to us all the time, we want to show up and be present to our friend. Mm. So, But then we are kick into friend mode, like, but friends make friends feel better. So I got to fix things. Or when we attend to our child who is in pain over a loss, 
you know, we want to just be there and and be present for their pain. But there's this other hat that we wear, which is parent, and parents' jobs are to fix things and make pain go away. So I think there's some beauty in your the admission of your own sort of, I don't know if struggle is the right word, but sort of the, the ways in which you vacillated back and forth of, of trying to catch yourself, to remind yourself to draw back in and to be present, you know, in that yeah. space. And I think the other thing I so appreciate about what you just shared uh, is about the idea that even though people were sort of, you were bearing witness to people telling their deepest pain stories, these experiences that, you know, catastrophically changed their lives, one of the things that you were able to witness, and I try to, to talk off, I try to talk often about this in my writing and in my work, which is for those people who do the grief work, who really show up and attend to their own pain, who get to the point where they can sort of tell their story and reflect on what has happened since that time, those people are able to access a kind of joy about living and a kind of delight and a kind of gratitude that, in fact, I think many people who haven't navigated that kind of journey before do. And so I'm not actually surprised that you were able to sort of see and feel and experience a sense of lightness in the room, because it sounds to me like you were communicating with people who have done a lot of their own grief work. Does that mm-hmm. does that resonate for you, Ryan? Is that was that your experience of when you were interviewing your five guests? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They there, and I mean that was part of it. I think even from the beginning, like Michael said, like putting that call out. These people who said yes were people that were going. I have some. I, I'm one person actually said I I feel like it's time. Like mm-hmm. it's time for me to talk, and it's time for me to talk about it. Yeah. I have some things to say and uh, I, I learned a hell of a lot and I'm a different person and I am an expert in my own way on this topic um, in, in, in my specific experience of this topic, you know? And so they very much came with this, with this confidence and um, yeah, this, this ability to articulate things that we were really uh really blown away by and and what we had hoped for definitely we we really that that was beautiful that's what we hoped for that's so beautiful that act of i mean as filmmakers in a way you especially documentary filmmakers you're always that's your role you're bearing witness to to telling people's stories and in this case it was a set of stories that we don't often see told you know in our broader yeah. <laughs> media culture so i think there was an extra sense of responsibility to um, carry through that emotional story that people were telling to tell the full spectrum of the story. So not just the sad, but as you indicated, Michael, the sort of wisdom and light and joy, you know, sort of be able to represent the whole spectrum of that story. Michael and Ryan intentionally created a very different film set than the one they usually create. One that was supportive unhurried and unscripted, letting go of the usual direction and control that defines their sets. As a result of their efforts to let the stories organically unfold in front of them, they ended up with more than 10 hours of interviews. In case you didn't know, a short-form documentary film is typically between 10 and 15 minutes. 
So I asked them to talk to me a little bit about the editing process, how they decided what footage to keep and what to cut, why they decided not to tell these stories in a typical story arc format, and how they felt about the outcome. Yeah, it was a very long process. Uh, we definitely, so, so I was kind of working on the edit and at the same time, uh, Michael had been lis- listened to the entire 10 hours of interviews again um, as well and was making notes on specific areas and specific, um, you know, uh, common, common discussion points. Um, and I was also doing the same. So when we work, we work with, we would work with multiple timelines. So we actually started to um, group. We just started to group the discussions into different categories, like uh, first finding out that, uh, that, that a loved one has died. So that would be on one, you know, one uh, timeline. And, um, and uh, I, I can't remember exactly what they were, yeah. but we basically just kind of made up a bunch of random categories for things that we thought sounded like they were in the same world. And then we would kind of, um, I mean, we would kind of go through and, and rate them. I say that with quotations in that, like yeah. you would, we would pick the ones that, that worked best for, for the short film style. And, um, and then we would pull all those, we put them in, you know, we put them into a timeline and then we'd start to really find how this was going to take shape. But it definitely was a slow process and one that uh, we were fortunate in that we were controlling, we were producing it. So we got to have, um, before shooting any B-roll, we, we had a very clear idea of what we wanted our, our acted out narrative scenes uh, to be because we had already done a significant amount of the, the editing on the interviews. And we had, a, we learned again, we were learning from those interviews. Uh, what were some of the situations that these people found themselves in? We didn't want it to be a direct correlation to what they were talking about, but uh, they, uh, you know, the uh, Barry in the film talks about they would, him and his wife, they, they would go for walks at, at three in the morning, she would wake him up and they would just go for a walk outside. Yeah. And, um, uh, cause she couldn't sleep or, or, um, another person talked about needing to box up the, your, your son's room, yeah. you know, like things that we, we had never even thought about. Oh yeah. Like, what does it look like when, you know, yeah, some, yeah. Uh, some significant amount of time later, all of a sudden you need to box up that person's life. And that didn't actually make it in the interview portion of the film, but then we were able to capture some of those things um, in those, in those narrative uh, uh, moments. And the, and the strategy was trying to actually trying as much as possible, not to catch people, not to catch our viewers on, Oh, what exactly happened to that person? Right. You know, but, but really to, to somehow allow them to kind of sit back and let it wash over them without them being distracted by any, any specifics. Like where did that story t- tying that story from beginning to end? It was more about yeah. an impression of yeah. like these are the exper- these are the types of experiences people have generally as opposed to this person or that person. Exactly. Yeah, that was a big that that was something that became pretty clear in the editing process um, that that was more of the the route to take, and um, yeah, so that that began became what what drove our decisions yeah. throughout. 
Yeah. Well, and I think that, you know, whether that was intentional or not on your part, I think in terms of the effect, I think it what it did for the rest of those of us who've watched it and listeners, I'm going to be, before this episode even airs, I'm going to be promoting this film. So hopefully you will have all watched it before you listen to it. But if not, mm-hmm. go back and watch it a second time. I've watched it 11 times already. Oh, um, wow. Well, that's awesome. It's fantastic. <laughs> but one of the things I think you did by not having, by not doing a complete story arc for each person, you know, as you said, sort of wrapping from beginning to end, you allowed us as the viewer to see our, for me, I'll speak for myself, I've had a couple of significant grief experiences, the loss of my husband, and then the loss of a very close friend. And I think you allow the viewer to sort of see bits of themselves reflected in people's stories or moments like the walking in the woods or, you know, packing up boxes, etc. And so I think it my sense is you're going to have much more impact when, with viewers because they're going to be able to not get tied up in that somebody else's story that I'm watching in a sort of voyeuristic way from beginning to end. It actually invites the viewer to see themselves reflected in that story. And I think that's really powerful. That's Yeah, that's really, that's really cool. And that's definitely that – was, that was the hope for sure. And that was – you know, even the title of the film, the, the subtitle – our log line was, you know, solidarity for those who are grieving and permission for those who felt they were never allowed. Mm-hmm. And that was throughout, you know, it's still on the on the title page, but that was, was sort of from our original concept. That was something that was driving it is how how can we create a gift to give back to people that they can interact with? Um, and, and in that way, it's it is different. It is a different viewing experience than a, a another type of documentary story in the, in the, you know, classic documentary story. Well, I was going to say, I wanted to just jump in on that. It's something that me and Ryan have both resonated before in, in seeing films that express a little bit of that, but it's funny because it's not, like you said, it's not something that is as um, you don't see it as much in the documentary world. You see a lot more of these, very specific storytelling of kind of like a small, um, maybe a small piece of someone's experience or life, but very like detailed kind of taking us through beginning to end of, uh, of a storyline. Yeah. And, and it's funny because this was a very specific choice that we had made. Um, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't know that it was, uh, maybe that's another way to say it. I, I knew that it was the right direction for this project, for what we were doing, but I, I, I'm not sure that I t- totally knew whether it was going to work. We didn't sit there at the beginning of this and say, uh, this is the way to do it, and it's going to affect people this way. Right. I think somehow we just knew that we felt emotionally drawn towards this idea of presenting the stories that way. Yeah. And... Um, and, and we didn't know it was necessarily going to work. And it's a funny thing because one of the main, one of the main end goals of the project was that we would have this finished film of a, of a kind of roughly between 10 and 15 minute length, and that we were going to submit it to film festivals. And that was a, that was a very specific goal. We, we thought, you know, if we can get this film to be seen in, in film festivals around you know North America maybe beyond that it would uh, that it would get an audience 
when you enter film festivals, you you normally enter under a category, and in, in this case, obviously this film needed to go under the category of documentary, but there's no subcategories in that. There's there's short documentaries, and there's um, there's long form documentaries, and there's nothing more detailed that than that in yeah. how they categorize them. So. Our experience when we entered this project, we, we spent almost a year waiting to hear, you know, you, you enter a film festival four months later, you may hear yes or no. Right. So we had kind of this this year-long period of, of entering and being rejected, entering and being rejected. And this is something that I experienced with films in the past. It's purely to do with the fact there's hundreds of entries and not everyone gets chosen. But I think that that year of film festivals, we both sort of thought, you know, why is like, we felt quite strongly that we had made something that had an impact. And we thought, why is this not getting into film festivals? Like I, I, we entered it into something like 30 film festivals and we, we actually were accepted into, I think only two film festivals that were, um, like dedicated screenings. So we were, we, we ended up this past August before releasing the film online feeling very much like, what did we do? Like, what was this? <laughs> because we felt, you know, we felt good about it, Yeah. but we had this year of like, basically just us looking at it ourselves and no real reaction. And, um, that's yeah, intense. It was intense. I mean, I had sort of known that we'd go through this year, you know, and not really know what was going to happen. But it was especially at the end of that year, just thinking like, man, like what? Like, <laughs> did we? And, and I will be candid. There were we definitely had some conversations of like, did, like, what was the point? Yeah. Like, did <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, because we because we assumed that oh, if if we if we get into these film festivals we, we did something right. Like we, we made mm. a good film. That you was put our value on test. that. Yeah. 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 And no, and it wasn't happening. And we thought like, well, what the heck? <laughs> it was very interesting after all that, when we were about to put this thing online, that was just, again, a, a total feeling of like, like absolutely terrified of like, we're about to like put this out to the world and say, Hey, guess what? We just spent two years doing. And at that point, as far as we could tell, it wasn't really hitting home with anybody. I'd love to ask a little bit um, about sort of the decision to get it online, and, and I have some some reflections on that. Um, I'd love to talk a little bit next about the decision to put it online. But before we do, another sort of wrapped-up metaphor that I think happened by virtue of you guys not telling this linear story from start to finish for each person is that you represented the fact that everybody's grief journey is unique and that everybody's grief experience is a journey that lasts for the rest of their lives. And so I think there's something quite beautiful and representative about the fact that it wasn't wrapped up in a neat bow, um, mm. if you see what I'm saying in terms of, and then they went on and had kids, more yeah. kids, or, you know, whatever that story was. And then they were happily ever after. And you really let us understand that, yes, people were able to find gratitude and joy and lightness and, not but, 
they still carry with them the memories and the experiences. So I think that's yeah. just another, again, whether that was your intention or not, I think that was another beautiful outcome of the ways in which you decided to tell the story. So I just wanted to reflect that back to the two yeah. of you. I, I just had a revelation of my own in this very moment. <laughs> but it's funny how when we went into this pro project, there was like I had mentioned, I had this feeling of like, oh, like what like what place do I have in being a part of the story? Like, I don't, I don't know. Like, I haven't gone through this experience, et cetera, et cetera. It's funny how that what you just described is very much something that um, though I didn't come to that type of thinking through a grief experience over the last probably five years of my life, I've sort of wrestled with this idea of um, believing that I, I was going to arrive somewhere in my life. This idea of like, you know, the, the path of your life leads you to arriving or the, the answer or, mm -hmm. or even, you know, people talk to us about this whole idea of their grief journey and the fact that it doesn't have a, it, there isn't like a finish line in terms of like, I get there and now I'm moving on. Or I'm done. How, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Or, or I've arrived at the end of my grieving. Like that never, that's not, that's not the way it works. And I felt, I feel the same way in life of this idea of, um, I've always definitely resonated with films and art and things that, that do sort of leave you hanging a little bit at the end of mm -hmm. like, there, there isn't necessarily this final answer. One, something really profound that one of our interviews said is she likens grief to breathing. It's, yeah. it's, it's just there. It's just a part of her. And, and um, yeah, like that's something that for me personally came through in the film, definitely from my own feeling of like letting go of this idea of arriving somewhere, but that it's about just, journeying this experience. And I think that that was something everyone in the interviews definitely touched on. That's so beautiful, Michael. And I think it's a lesson for all of us um, in terms of, you know, things change. They're going to change and evolve, whether it's our thoughts about what our careers are going to look like or our marriages or, you know, or even mm -hmm. our grief journey. And so in, instead of thinking that there's some place to arrive to, how do you breathe into it as you're you know, interviewee said, how do you stay present mm -hmm. and not get hung up on some future state or some um, imagined way that things are should be and staying present to that? So I'd love to hear that you sort of had your own, sounds like that was your own sort of learning journey as a result mm -hmm. of doing this film. That's really beautiful. Yeah, Absolutely. I wanted to let you know about a bonus episode of Grief is a Sneaky Bitch coming out in March. I will be bringing you a deeply personal interview. The twist? This time, I was the guest, not the host. To be honest, I surprised myself by how openly and honestly I shared what it was like to lay next to my husband Eric for the last nine hours of his life until he died in my arms. I also explored the surprising and beautiful gift my friend Joe gave me as I sat by his side and held his hand to the end, just a few years after my husband's death. Please make sure you are subscribed to Grief is a Sneaky Bitch so you don't miss this bonus episode when it releases next month. You might be wondering, why am I taking this short break? 
Well, I'm taking this time to embark on some national speaking engagements and to finalize my sponsors for season two. I can't wait to share more about the important collaborators who will be supporting season two of this series. I'm also really blown away by some of the guests who have already agreed to sit down with me for some deeply thoughtful, vulnerable, and insightful conversations. I am thrilled to share that you will be hearing from John A. Powell. He is the director of the Othering and Belonging Institute at the University of California, Berkeley. He is an internationally recognized expert in the areas of civil rights, civil liberties, structural racism, housing, poverty, and democracy. John is also my friend, and I'm beyond honored to share a deeply informative, personal, and thoughtful conversation on grief, loss, belonging, and so much more. Maybe Ryan or, or either one of you, tell me a little bit about you did this film. There was a little bit crickets from the film festival, although now hopefully once they hear this, they'll realize, oh, man, we really messed up. <laughs> um, it's not too late, film festivals. No, it is. Um, but you sort of sat on it for a little while, maybe a little ego, a little fear, a little anxiety. You know, what, how how will the world react to this? So you guys made the decision to sort of make it free online. How did you come to that, and how quick how quick were the reactions to to the stories? How did that go for you? Um, I mean, I I think that was even as the as the film festival process went on, that that was always an idea in the back of our mind. Okay, um, that it would be a gift, and and that was our discussion with Michelle um, as well that she wanted she just wanted to give this to people like we from the beginning we were kind of like okay well what's the what's the goal with this and 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 she wanted to just gift it to the world and and we we uh thought that at some point that would be the appropriate avenue to go it it didn't seem okay. to fit in a lot of other venues but that that would be the way to go that it could just be some a, a resource that is free we thought that it might be something that could be ac- accessed maybe through um Dip, uh, some other sort of resource, you know, like like in in Canada, the something for, uh, you know, something that's packaged with with um, for with a mental health association or something right. like that, or, right. or through the Canadian health system, healthcare system. We thought, oh, maybe that could be the the way to go. That that became pretty clear, I guess, when we weren't seeing quite as much uh, um, recognition or or festivals really grabbing onto it. Uh, that that uh, this be, would become the avenue, and, and a big part of it was we began to realize in the experience of the film, you, you do imagine somebody watching this film in a theater with a bunch of people around eating popcorn. Right. It just doesn't really fit. No. No. Uh, but when you think about somebody sitting alone on their bed on their bed at night before they're going to bed, and they're and they're watching it on their phone under the covers, yeah. you know, like yeah. the the experience that they have. The, the freedom that they have to truly be uh, to interact with it is just a whole different experience. And it really felt like that was um, that was something that needed to happen. The, so, sort of the yeah. intimacy of that scenario where people can watch it on their own from their computer in their phone and sort mm-hmm. of um, have an intimate connection with 
with somebody, I think, yeah, is beautiful. So you you leapt off the cliff and put it online. Yeah. And then what? What happened? Uh, yeah, I mean, it had it definitely had. A, we we got some really cool responses from. Um, just, you know, as with anything, people that you're connected with a lot of times being like, oh, that's great. You know, that's, that's really cool. And definitely started to see it share, but it, it, um, we then were, we, um, Michael specifically was more connected with, with the on being podcast and, um, just sent them the email really kind of felt this little bit of a uh, nudging to kind of, you know, move forward and just send it to them and see what happens. And, um, yeah, we were pretty, we were, we freaked out a little bit when they got back to us and said they wanted to feature it and give it the legs, um, on, on the online side, uh, to, to get get some sort of audience behind it and and allow as many people to see it as possible. And then it just, yeah, took off once they did that. Yeah. That was about three days after we released it. Okay. Um, that they that they pushed it out. So you yeah. didn't have to wait long to watch the count go up on YouTube from one to two no. to ten. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty. Uh, it was quite the experience. Um, you know, again, that was definitely just like you know, who knows? Like, who knows what might happen here? I have, but I, I definitely, when I sent that email, I I did not expect anything to come from it, and uh, a few days later. I just, yeah, it was the a morning I opened it up and one of their, one of their people had responded to me and said that they wanted to share it and kind of gave us a, a rundown of, of how they were going to share it. And it was, yeah, that was, that was a really surreal moment. I definitely remember there were some tears there for sure with just this feeling of like, you know, their, their affirmation podcast, or, you oh, know, yeah, I mean, yeah. their, their podcast and the things that they sort of dive into, um, have, have meant a lot to me over the last few years. It's been a big part of my own just processing life. And so to have some affirmation from from someone in that corner, yeah, yeah it was incredible because yeah. it, it was this real moment of like, yeah, like if they can share it, like they, those are the people that that will definitely respond to this. Like they, the people that, that will respond to this, like they'll see it. So yeah. that was, yeah. oh, we were so thankful for that. Uh, for them, they're generously sharing this <laughs> this film uh, after after getting a random email from somebody in Canada. <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, it worked because I'm also a super fan of On Being and mm-hmm. and and the work that they do there. The you know the work they do exploring sort of the human condition and mm. has been an inspiration, which is how I found about out about your film and sent you a random, you guys a random email. So we're just paying it forward here. <laughs> um, I, I want to talk a little bit more about what's next for both this film, but also your future projects. But before we do, I would love to invite each of you to take a moment to reflect on what were your grief beliefs? I like to sort of call them before doing this film. How did you think about talking or thinking about death or even like having conversations with loved ones about your, you know, what you wanted for your, for yourself or your family? So what was the evolution of your own comfort and ability to think and talk with others about grief and death and loss before the film? And how has that transformed or has it transformed as a result of doing this. Maybe Ryan, do you want to start? 
I guess the the biggest learning really came from the YouTube responses and and the amount of um, uh, comments and Facebook messages and um, uh, just the amount of things that we heard online. And I mean, I can I can think back to one quote that I heard once, uh, and and it was that the whole world cried when Princess Diana died because they were all finally given permission to grieve. And I remember hearing that and that and that really struck me like that there's a whole world kind of feeling like they're bottling things up, you know, and um, and 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 when we see that somebody famous or well known that, or beloved by the world dies, people react, you know, and, mm. and, and it almost is like there's this response from of everybody being like, finally, I can let out some of my uh, pain as well. And, and I guess. Um, there's definitely a very real desire to be able to talk about this. And and it's just amazing how much you forget, like even you asking us our grief experience, like mm. I have experienced some things and almost everybody has or, yeah. you know, like or in will. some matter. <laughs> yeah, or will. And um, and sometimes you forget that people that everybody has experienced it and, and most probably haven't talked much about it. Yeah. You know, and I think there is a big desire in our world, uh, definitely to talk about it. And then the other thing would just be that, uh, in, in similar to what Michael was saying, like the, the incredible wisdom that comes out of, um, going through a painful situation, uh, losing somebody that you love, uh, the, the, the insight and and wisdom that somebody who goes through that has uh, from re needing to wrestle with some of the the most deep and dark and complex um, topics and and experiences of life, um, they really are they really come out with this new way of seeing the world that um, maybe maybe I I, I didn't really recognize before mm. um the gift of it yeah. um, i don't think i would have thought there was much of much of a gift i think i went into it hoping that there was but but to see that sort of proved um by their by their uh what they shared was really cool yeah that's beautiful yeah. i love that michael for you mm. do you feel like it changed your relationship with your comfort about talking or thinking about grief. What what do you think that journey was for you? Especially going going into the project um, at the beginning when it sort of all came up, I definitely had to sort of face that idea a little bit of like, oh, like I had to like, can I can I put myself like I was definitely had some fear around. Mm. You know, it's funny to think about, but I definitely had some fear of just being in those conversations. Yeah. I definitely was afraid of that. Uh, previously to this, I didn't really have any conversations with anyone um, yeah. that covered these topics. I, I didn't have anybody in my life that had passed away in, in uh, the way that some of the people in the story had lost people tragically and suddenly. Um, I, I had never experienced that. So I definitely didn't didn't grasp what that could be like, what that could look like, what that meant for people. Um, and I definitely think that the topic in general, I, if you asked me at that point, I would have 
been would have had some fear around even um, even talking about it for yeah, sure. Yeah. And absolutely, the interview pro- process, as Ryan mentioned, was extremely impactful, especially because after those days of listening to people, it was like I I had to face it. It was <laughs> it was an unexpected um, outcome of my experience on the project was. Uh, I, it, it, in this sense, it was my job to listen to these stories and, and listen very intently, even, even after the fact and, um, just what it did in terms of my ability to empathize with those stories, hearing them again and again, and, and hearing the, hearing some of the profound wisdom that came out of these experiences definitely made me think, and, and now I feel this way that, um, I feel like when I when I next experience grief, I I feel less afraid to to go through that for sure. I feel more um, like I I maybe have the ability to um, I don't know wit- witness other people's experiences and without judgment or fear in a way of, or, or being more willing to, I think, mm-hmm. I think that fear of it before probably would have put up some, some walls, but the fact that I, uh, I've sort of had to listen to all these experiences yeah. and, and live with them in this project, I definitely feel more willing to, yeah. to be a part of, uh, of people sharing, um, or just witnessing that it doesn't, it doesn't scare me. And I definitely see like Ryan said in a way how there there can be some real profound beauty in in going through this part of life. That's beautiful. And I think, I mean, so much of what both of you just shared really resonates for me when I started reimagining grief and started this podcast, Grief is a Sneaky Bitch. I had a hunch because I was craving real and raw and authentic conversations because I understood that by doing my own writing and talking about it, uh, my experience, I I was able to access, I don't know if I would call my having wisdom, but access, you know, joy and delight. Um, but the very immediate sort of reactions from around the world, frankly, to the writing and the podcast really affirmed that, yeah, people are hungry to talk about this. This is something that is a shared human experience for all of us. We will all go through grief. And so I think there's something really sort of, you when we get better at talking about it, these hard things that we all experience, we can kind of find a kind of love and belonging amongst people that we may have seen only difference. And, mm-hmm. and yeah, that was something that was spoken even of the interviewees. Yeah. It's all, they, they feel like they're a part of a club. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they would say, yeah. Yeah. I think we, yeah. I mean, there's like, you know, Nora McInerney is, is a great writer and speaker about grief and she wrote a book called The Widow's Club. So, you know, we, we, mm-hmm. we all join these clubs, one club or another, and we don't necessarily, not a, not a club you ever wanted to join, but there is something that's so isolating and disconnecting about loss, obviously, because you're disconnected from this person, you know, at least their embodied person. But then the way we handle culturally and the way we don't talk about grief, we become even more disconnected from the world. And so to have mm-hmm. conversations, to sort of rejoin a club, as it were, I think there's something really healing in that conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think, Michael, something that you said really resonated with me, which is, you know, the more we're able to talk about the hard things, you know, and the more that we're able to or listen to 
other people's pain. It's not that it's I think people worry about talking or listening to, to the hard things because they think somehow they're going to manifest that into their life. You know, like it's mm. if I talk about it or think about it, something bad is going to happen. And the truth is, some you know, the other shoe will drop. Something bad will happen. You will lose somebody. And talking about it doesn't – there's no universal law of attraction that it's going to bring it into your life. What it does is teach you, as I think you just shared, Michael, which is, okay, I can I can handle this. It's This is – Known. I think making it known somehow sort of takes away the fear and a little bit of the power of this topic that has loomed large for so many of us because we've culturally and personally avoided it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And it's interesting, even in that, on that greater, greater scale, one of our interviewees talked a little bit about that in 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 one of the longer form things of how she um going through going through this um experience of loss in her life and going through uh, in experiencing grief for her really changed um her ability to empathize um even on a more uh general uh, plane in a way she said you know when she when she interacts with people or experiences thing in the world, she now she now has moments where she will pause and and to herself wonder, you know, what is that person experiencing? You know, what what might they be in the middle of, or you know, have they have they lost somebody, or are they they grieving somebody? What right. what's going on with that person? Just the way that it uh, creates empathy, and I I strongly believe in this idea that listening to listening to other people talk about their experiences definitely sort of breaks down some walls that even maybe subconsciously there when we hear other people talk honestly about their experiences it i think it absolutely builds empathy and um connection um that otherwise there may have been walls there i think that 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 is one of the outcomes of it yeah that's beautiful that's beautiful. That's that's part of why I'm doing this work. Mm-hmm. And I so why I so appreciate the work that you guys did for this film. So so now the film is out there. Um it's getting pretty wide reception. What's next for the film? Is there anything next for the film? What's your vision for kind of impact or are you kind of just writing writing and and seeing where the story goes? Yeah, we're definitely writing it. Yes, riding the wave, seeing where it goes. Um, our kind of desire and hopes for it are have been um, have kind of happened, and and it's that's awesome. And okay. so now it's just out there. Yeah, okay. it's it, we don't really have any other goals for it at this point. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think a big, you know, a big part of it was seeing it through, and mm-hmm. um, and. Also, some of the things that's happened with it in terms of how many of the stages of experiencing, uh, you know, being a part of this project have been unexpected. And, you know, I, there's so much of it. I feel like this this film, this project happened to me. I didn't I didn't mm-hmm. uh, create it. Interesting. Me and Ryan just sort of went through it. We experienced it together. <laughs> Um, as much as we had to make decisions and do things, it very much feels like it was something that we were able to be a part of and has its own life. 
And so, yeah, we're just That's very beautiful. much. Yeah, it's like the best thing that you can really like. It's something that you truly hope for is that something sort of goes beyond you um, and you've kind of get out of the way. Um, and so, yeah, now being being out there online is was was kind of our our last official step and yeah. everything that has happened since or will happen is kind of out of our hands yeah. in a good way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's beautiful. You know, maybe before we wrap up, I'm curious uh, to know for the two of you, has this experience changed the way you think about what projects you might take on in the future or how you might approach projects that you've done before differently going forward? What what has this taught you about your roles as filmmakers, as storytellers, really? Mm. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that even because as you were, you mentioned, you know, what what's next for us earlier. And I definitely feel like that's, I'm mulling that over right now. Um, I'm, I'm noticing that I'm having a hard time getting excited about things um that that maybe don't have um either either creative or or some sort of other impact yeah um and and not not that i'm you know not motivated to do other work but it's it's i i don't feel like i'm rushing into anything right now yeah and and i definitely there's sometimes that's anxiety driving but um yeah this was a very unique experience and and I'm also curious to see what's next, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. for some of that stuff. And, and, um, it's hard to, yeah, it's, it's, um, hard to, to just kind of step out of that and, and kind of go, okay, what's, yeah. what's the next, what's the next film we're doing? You know, when, when this felt so, um, unique and, and the impact felt pretty, um, great for, for people. And, and so, like it's, it was so personal and maybe emotional and important that's different than a maybe more commercial project. Is that kind exactly, of the dissonance exactly. there? Yeah. 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 And I mean, I want, I should jump in there too. Like the, the process of creating this film, um, mm -hmm. you know, it was, it's funny you ask, um, me and Ryan were, were friends before this project. But we had the closest we had come to doing a project together was um, one of us uh, filming something, a small project, and the other one receiving that footage and editing it. We had never worked together mm. on a project before this. And it, it was a, a real personal journey in that way, too, is where we both had to um, we both had to be very open to what that experience was going to be like. And we, we learned an incredible amount from one another through this experience. Yeah. And, um, so it is kind of a strange thing because you don't often in our world have that opportunity to work really closely with somebody in this way where we kind of also have some control and, and get to sort of follow um, where the, where the project takes you, you kind of often drop in for a very short, intense period of time where you execute something and complete a project and then you're off to the next thing. But me and Ryan both had to sort of live through this for more than a year together, um, on and off. Uh, so yeah, it was, it was a really unique experience that way. And so, yeah, it's where I, I know I'm very grateful for it. Um, 
Well, I have a feeling given that you too went on your own personal journey, but that you also are helping so many people go through their own journey as they bear witness to these people's stories that um, something is going to unfold to you know, and present itself to the two of you in a way that is likely unexpected. But because um, I think you open doors for yourselves and for other people um, mm-hmm. by by being the storyteller um, mm-hmm. of this important story. It was totally unexpected to hear from yourself and to be. Um, uh, it's funny because, like, again, when you first uh, reached out, I had, again, sort of one of those similar reactions of like, well, like, yeah, we made this film, but like, I don't feel qualified to be like, it, you know, your podcast is your, your, yeah. what, the, the subject matter. Again, I had that that hesitation of like, I don't really know if I have uh, the right to talk more about this. <laughs> but a big part of it is like you said, like, um, just, you know, this is this was a surprise to hear from yourself. And um, it, it's very, yeah, it's, it's, it's really beautiful be, to be able to talk about our own experiences on the film because mm-hmm. it was just, just kind of me and Ryan in a room for a long period of time talking about these things. So it's, it's a real privilege to be able to sort of share it. Um, so I'm, I'm really grateful for that to you as well. We appreciate it. <laughs> oh, wow. Thank you. I'm so, thank you. I'm really moved by that. Thanks for sharing that. You know, I think our goal always is to be seen, you know, there, I quote often this, um, writer Parker Parker Palmer, and he said, the soul doesn't want to be advised or fixed, but to feel seen and held exactly as you are. And Mm -hmm. I think um, part of what I experienced by watching your film is that I think people will be able to sort of feel seen in their stories. And that's a, that's a gift. Mm. That's very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. That's, yeah, it's, it's very, it's very special. I mean, for me, as well to 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 have this again as an affirmation um is just very cool yeah so thank you for saying that awesome thank you michael and ryan filmmakers for we the bereaved i so appreciate you two coming on the show today having this very open and vulnerable conversation about your journey as filmmakers and the impact that your film is having in the world thanks for joining us today Thank you. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks so much. I am so grateful to Michael and Ryan for making this short documentary film. They really are allies in changing the narratives of grief. I appreciate their thoughtful approach and execution in telling these deeply personal stories and doing it in a way that beautifully highlights the depth and wisdom that comes from traveling a grief journey. If you haven't watched We the Bereaved, or you want to rewatch it like I did, you can find the link in the show notes for today's episode. Thank you again for tuning in to this final episode of Season 1. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the show, catch up on any episodes you've missed in the season, and share it with someone you know. You'll also get notified when the bonus episode drops next month. This is Lisa Kiefhofer, creator and host of Grief is a Sneaky Bitch. Thank you so much for joining me today. Until next time, I see you, I hear you, and I'm holding you in my heart.